ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय मयि निर्बद्धहृदय साधव समदर्शन समदर्शन वशे कुर्वती मक्तिया सत्पतिम यथा मयि निर्बद्धहृदय साधव समदर्शन वशे कुर्वती मक्तिया सत्पतिम यथा मयि अंटु मी निर्बद्धहृदय firmly attached in the core of the heart sadhavah the pure devotees samadarshanah who are equal to everyone vashe under control kurvanti they make mam unto me by devotional service satstriyah chaste woman satpatim unto the gentle husband yatha as bad shripad translation as chaste women bring their gentle husbands under control by service the pure devotees who are equal to everyone and completely attached to me in the core of the heart bring me under their full control purport in this verse the word samdarshanah is significant the pure devotee 
is actually equal toward everyone as confirmed in bhagavad gita 1854 brahma bhuta prasannatma na shochati na kaankshati samah sarveshu bhuteshu universal brotherhood is possible when one is a pure devotee panditah samadarshinah a pure devotee is actually learned because he knows his constitution position he knows the position of the supreme personality of godhead and he knows the relationship between the living entity and the supreme lord thus he has full spiritual knowledge and is automatically liberated brahma bhutah he can therefore see everyone on the spiritual platform he can comprehend the happiness and distress of all living entities he understands that what is happiness to him is also happiness to others and that what is distress to him is distressing for others therefore he is sympathetic to everyone as prahlad maharaj said शोचे तथो विमुख चेत इंद्रियाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथाथ
people who were successful at one time then they died and went away sukadev goswami is not concerned with that sort of history is concerned with history of those personalities who transcended death and so he therefore is describing events from different epochs different millennia different universes to teach the principles that will enable us to transcend the cycle of birth and death so till he comes to the 10th canto he does two things first is establish the position of krishna and second is establish the position of bhakti so the position of the first nine cantos talk about vishnu in between they talk about krishna also repeatedly in ambarish maharaj past time also we have savai manah krishna padaravindayor and the focus goes entirely on krishna in the 10th canto but also along with establishing vishnu and krishna's position the bhagavatam is also establishing the position of bhakti to some extent krishna does this in the gita also krishna in the bhagavad gita talks about different paths he talks about karma gyan yoga but after talking all the about all these paths he establishes how all these paths ultimately culminate in bhakti so he talks about yoga in the 6th chapter dhyan yoga and he says yoginam api sarvesha madgatina antaratmana in fact it's not just in 6.47 throughout in 6.15 6.30 yomam pashyati sarvatra sarvam cha mi pashyati krishna says how he is the ultimate goal of yoga and bhakti to him is the culmination of yoga similarly krishna talks about how gyan culminates in bhakti bahunam janmanam ante gyanavan mam prapadite 7.19 he talks about that and even about how karma culminates in bhakti he talks about that in the third chapter yagnyarthat karmano nitra lokoyam karma bandhana so here in this 3.9 if somebody says this, this is a little ambiguous who yagnya refers to then at the end of the chapter of karma yoga 3.30 again he says that mai sarvani karmani sanyasya adhyatma chetasa nirashir nirmama bhutva yudya samikata jwara so again he says yagya is not clear it's mai unto me you have to surrender so yagya karma and gyana sorry karma gyana yoga and karma these three are the different paths which are there and krishna shows in the bhagavad gita how all of them culminate in bhakti and bhagavatam demonstrates that so this particular pastime demonstrates how a bhakta is far far superior to a yogi durvasa muni is a very powerful yogi but a bhakta is far more superior to yogi the path of karma karma means karma kanda that culminates in going to heavens for sense enjoyment and the what happens by karma kanda is demonstrated in the fourth canto to the pastime of prachinipari he is doing so many yagyas but he is himself getting entangled and he will have to suffer so that somebody may say that is because he didn't do the karma kanda yagyas properly but even if somebody does the karma kanda yagyas properly and he succeeds in becoming indra but what happens to indra is demonstrated throughout the bhagavatam sixth canto eighth canto is always getting into trouble similarly what about gyan gyan the bhagavatam starts itself with shukadev goswami who had attained the perfection of gyan atmaramascha munayo nirgantha apyurukrame kurvantya hetukim bhakti itham bhuta guno hari so even the atmaramas who are not attracted to anything material are attracted to krishna so the path of gyan culminates in bhakti and there also in the bhagavatam again in the fourth kind of the example of the kumaras kinjal kamishra san makarandavayo that when the sankshobha maksharujisham apichitta tanvoh that they don't get agitated by anything material those who are fixed in the path of gyan 
but they were agitated when they got the fragrance of the tulsi leaves that were uh, adorning the lotus feet of the lord so in this way karma gyana and yoga all of them culminate in bhakti in fact bhakti is so powerful that bhakti inverts the normal hierarchy the normal hierarchy is that the devatas are superior and the asuras are inferior but in the 6th canto and in the 8th canto we see that there is a devata indra and there is a asura vrtrasur or there is a devata indra and there is a asura bali but both of them are actually shown to be more glorious although they were born in a, a demoniac family still they are shown to be higher and in fact the 6th and the 8th cantos talk about how there was a conflict and apparently the devata won but it was the asura who won but the 7th canto takes it even further and somebody who is born in a demoniac family and he has a demoniac father and that father has actually defeated everyone else including all the devatas but his son becomes a devotee and he is exalted to the lord personally appears for him so the normal vedic hierarchy of the devatas being higher than the asuras is inverted when there is a bhakti in asura and that's repeatedly demonstrated six seventh eighth canto they are demonstrating that now this canto is another demo- demonstrating another hierarchy normally somebody who is a sanyasi is considered to be higher than a grahastha but here durvasamuni is a sanyasi and ambrish maharaj is a grahastha but again that hierarchy is inverted why because ambrish maharaj is a devotee so in this way systematically the bhagavatam is establishing the position the supreme position of bhakti that either we take it among, among the various paths of karma gyana yoga or even the normal progression of the different ashramas or the different levels in the cosmic hierarchy if somebody has bhakti then he goes way above everyone else so this is what is demonstrated here in the shrimad bhagavatam and the shrimad bhagavatam will lead on now this particular canto is also the, the fall of another yogi shobari but also powerful yogi so these two are very powerful as a lust and pride so pride and anger because of pride anger came in durvasa that is demonstrated through one yogi and shobari muni the pitfall of lust is demonstrated and after in this way systematically demonstrating the supremacy of bhakti then shukadev goswami is going to lead on to the paramount bhaktas the topmost bhaktas that is the vrajavasis so the bhagavatam is actually essentially talking about krishna it talks about krishna right in the beginning just like sometimes when we have a a movie is to be released then they give a brief trailer of the movie so like that in the bhagavatam in the first canto from chapters 7 uh, onwards they give a trailer of the 10th canto pastimes there is krishna suddenly because if you see there is conversation with vyasa and uh, narada going on and suddenly this chapter comes along the son of drona punished and then the bhagavatam pastime goes on and it, krishna's pastimes are there and krishna enters as the charioteer of arjuna the same way he has entered in bhagavad gita and then it carries on till the disappearance of krishna and the cursing of parikshit and then the bhagavatam storyline starts so what is going to come in the 10th canto that is described as a preview in the first canto to attract 
the readers, the hearers, till to perceive it till the tenth canto. And the Bhagavatam says in the invocatory verses only, Muhur aho rasika bhuvi bhavakaha. Rasika. Rasika, those who are relishers of mellows, they can relish these pastimes. So this rasa is a very commonly used word in Srila Prabhupada's purports. But rasa is actually a unique contribution of the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition to the understanding of bhakti. So before we come to that, let's take a little historical background. Today is the appearance day of Madhvacharya. So we can talk a little bit about him also. Shankaracharya was sent by the Lord as described in the Padma Puran to drive out Maya Vadamasachastram Prasannam Pachamam Bauddha Muchati. So he came and drew out Buddhism. And he gave a seemingly religious excuse for people to not surrender to God. Those who want to pretend to be religious but don't want to surrender to God. For them, he gave impersonalism. And subsequently, the Vaishnava Acharyas, Ramavacharya Rama came in around 11th century, 1017 to around 1137 he was there. Shankaracharya was around 726. So after 300 years he came. Ramavacharya refuted Shankaracharya quite well. So basically what Ramavacharya did was, he took the same scriptures which Shankaracharya had taken. Shankaracharya took Vishnu Puran, Ramacharya also took Vishnu Puran. And he took the same scriptures and refuted Shankaracharya. But uh, about a hundred years after that, Madhvacharya appeared. And Madhvacharya, because Shankaracharya's hold on the Hindu thought was very great. It is actually stronger than the hold of uh, modern science, on, on, on Western science and modern thought today. So it had to be gradually done. So Madhacharya came and he launched an all-out attack. He took the scriptures with Rama, which Shankaracharya had used and he used them and refuted and he took several other scriptures. An all-out attack. And he talked about, so Shankaracharya said, everything is one. Ekam Brahma Dvitiyanasti. So Ramacharya said, yeah, everything is one, but there is a difference. Actually, Vishishta, that is philosophy. So, Ramacharya's defining analogy was that every sampradaya has its defining analogy, which in a, in a nutshell tells what is the philosophy of that sampradaya. So, Ramacharya's defining analogy was a, the soul and the body. So, the soul is Vishnu and the body is Prakriti and Jiva. So, now this is in one sense true because Mahavishnu enters into the Pradhan. And Mahavishnu is the super soul of the whole universe. So he says, yes, just as the soul is the same as the body, and is different from the body. In a conventional sense, we talk about it. We don't always differentiate, how are you? That is, how is your body and how is your soul? You don't talk about it like that. So wherever the scriptures do talk about Brahman and Jiva as the same, we have to understand it is being talked in a conventional way. That was the analogy that he used. So he said, yes, there is oneness and there is difference also. But Madhvacharya, he came and launched an all-out attack. He said, there is no oneness at all. Everything is Dvaita. Actually, all the Upanishads talk about Tattvatraya. Tattvatraya means three truths. There is Jiva, Ishvara and Prakriti. So, taking this Tattvatraya, Madhvacharya talked about the Pancham Bhed. Five differences. He said, there is a difference between Jiva and Ishvara. There is difference between Prakriti and Ishvara. There is difference between Prakriti and Prakriti. There is difference between Jiva and Jiva. And there is difference between Jiva and Prakriti. 
So there is no question of any oneness. There is duality everywhere. That's why we see Madhacharya. Two fingers is Dvaitavad. So, Dvaita, there is no oneness. There is actually two-ness. Duality is there. So, in our Sampradaya, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu took two things from the Madhvacharya's teachings and one of them was Mayavad Dushan. Refutation of Mayavad. And one of the significant ways Madhvacharya refuted Mayavad was talking about the concept of Vishesha. Vishesha means inherent characteristic. Like we have in Prabhupada's Pranamantra, Nirvishesha Shunyavadi Paschyatya Deshatarini. So what is this Nirvishesha? So, generally the polemic, polemic means between the debate between the personalist and the impersonalist would go on, is God Sagud or is he Nirgud? But there are so many references in the scripture to the fact that the absolute truth is Nirgud. Now, the word Nirgun has two meanings. One is, the word Guna can mean qualities and the word Guna can also mean modes. So, when the scriptures say that the Lord is Nirgun, that means he is, is not affected by the material modes. That does not mean that he has no qualities. So therefore, Madhacharya redefined the terminology and he said instead of using Nirguna and Sagun, we should use Nirvishesh and Sarvishesh. So what is Nirvishesh and Sarvishesh? That he talked about the, the Mayavadis may also sometimes worship deities, they may also sing songs and they may also do the activity that Bhaktas do. But their idea is what? Like there is a famous Mayavadi teacher, he says that you should meditate on your Ishtadev. Ishtadev. Choose whichever god you want to meditate. They think they are very broad minded. We are having democracy. You can elect whoever you want. But according to spirituality, such a democracy that you don't need a majority. Your own vote is the majority. You can choose your own god and worship that. So you meditate on your deity and you concentrate and concentrate and concentrate. And the success of your dhyan, the success of your meditation is when by the power of your concentration, the deity crumbles into powder. <laughs> so demoniac. So that means then by your concentration you have gone beyond form to the formless light. So actually the, you know, the Muslims came and destroyed uh, temples and desecrated deities physically. But the impersonalists, they come and desecrate the deities intellectually, philosophically. They may accept the deities temporarily, but they want to go beyond the deities. So, their idea is what? That for God, even if he has a form, that form is an acquired quality. So, acquired quality means what? Like this seat is here. The seat has acquired by painting a particular color. Now that color is external to it. It was given to it at a particular time and it can be removed from it. So like that they say that God has a form which is given to him by our own mental conception. So we are the creators of God. We are the creators of God. So God is a, has a form given to us by our mental conception and that is external to him. And when we become advanced enough, we take away that form and we go beyond the form. So that is an acquired quality. But what is the inherent quality? Like there is a rose which is red in color. Now the redness of the rose cannot be separated from the rose. From its very existence, the rose is always red. So this is an inherent quality. 
so an inherent quality is called as vishesh so actually madhavacharya talked extensively about this and balde vidyabhushan in his govinda bhashya as well as gita bhushan he takes this concept mainly from the teachings of madhavacharya that the proper that the nama roopa gun lila are the lord's inherent qualities not his acquired qualities not the qualities which you have given to him by some mental mental conception there is inherent qualities and those who say that god is actually ultimately nirvishesh prabhupad nirvisheshunyadi paschat deshatarane prabhupad has come to save us from them so madacharya actually refuted impersonalism in a very powerful way and he established you know the udupi krishna temple he established and he gave a tremendous boost to the spreading of bhakti all over and chaitanya mahaprabhu came later and fulfilled the long time master plan which was there multi century master plan so madhavacharya is himself hanuman ji and bhima extremely powerful and physically also he was powerful intellectually also he was powerful that one time the impersonalists they found that he is just too powerful to debate with so then they say, they send a bodybuilder they said oh you were a wrestler earlier i want to wrestle with you so madhavacharya said i have given up wrestling now he says he says oh that means you are a coward so madhavacharya said okay if you want to wrestle with me first you move my toe you he put his leg forward move my toe if you can move my toe then i will accept that you are worthy of fighting with me so then he was that wrestler felt very insulted and he thought i'll just take his leg and pull him down and knock him and beat him to death so he took his leg and was trying to move it and you know he was tugging and shaking and panting and ranting and cursing and he was not able to do anything and he started sweating and he was wiping off the sweat and again holding the leg and more sweat was coming he was again wiping off the sweat and again he was trying to hold that and madhacharya was just meditating on the supreme lord and what was happening this wrestler was taking the dust of madhacharya's feet on his head <laughs> and eventually not only was he physically defeated but he was spiritually purified <laughs> and he fell at the feet of madhacharya not just uh, physically but he was spiritually and became his disciple afterwards <laughs> so shri madhavacharya bhagavat pad ki chai so after madhavacharya we had chaitanya mahaprabhu coming and he synthesized the advaita and advaita by talking about achintya bheda bhed simultaneous oneness and difference and bhakti rasamrita sindhu which is written by shri rupa goswami talked about the absolute truth in terms of rasa now rasa before coming to krishna consciousness you know probably we heard of rasa only in amras you know mango juice <laughs> that's our idea of rasa <laughs> so what exactly is this rasa uh bharat muni has written uh, the natya shastra and in natya shastra is described how the devatas once went to brahma ji and told that we would like to have a form of entertainment that will be simultaneously uplifting as well as entertaining that will involve all the senses and engage all the talents that people have and then at that time bharat muni instru- bharat uh, that Bhar- brahma ji instructed the devatas in the natya shastra 
So in the Natya Shastra, the concept is that when certain actors dressed in a particular way, they do certain gestures and speak certain expressions in particular ways, those, that background, that setting, those expressions, they create certain emotions in the audience. So the emotions that are created by a proper dramatic setting and a dramatic performance is called as rasa. So depending on how expert, firstly the actors are, and how, how rasik the audience is. Even the audience has to be cultured to be able to experience the emotions. But when the audience is cultured and the actors are expert, then certain rasas are experienced, certain emotions are experienced. So the Natya Shastra of Bharat Muni mainly talks about rasa as an emotion that is occasionally experienced when there is a good dramatic performance. Now Rupa Goswami took the basic theory which Bharat Muni had given and he went forward and explained that for a devotee, rasa is not just an occasional emotion experienced by a dramatic performance, it is a constant fact of life. And uh, the Natya Shastra is not necessarily devotional. There can be, uh, generally, most of the dramas in Vedic culture were devotional, but they are not necessarily devotional. But Rupa Goswami explained that rasa is the emotion that a devotee experiences constantly in relationship with the Supreme Lord. So, for us, as rasa has different meanings. Like we have those five rasas, which are the sthai bhav, the constant relationship. So, Sakya Vatsalya Madhurya. These are constant relationships. This is the predominant steady emotion within any relationship. And beyond that also, there are the secondary rasas. So, these secondary rasas, like Bibhatsa or Bhayanaka or Hasya, they embellish the relationship, the primary relationship which is in a particular rasa. So, for example, when Yashoda Mai, her predominant rasa is in Vatsalya, she thinks that she is the protector of Krishna. But when Trunavart comes and takes Krishna away and she is blinded and when she gets back her vision, she says, Krishna is not there anymore. She is overpowered, horrified. So at that time, that rasa of Vatsalya is embellished, is enhanced by the rasa of Vibhatsa. So, rasa means first a predominant relationship and within that predominant relationship, there are emotions. So, rasa means relationship as well as emotions within the relationship. So, the Bhakti Rasamrit Sindhu talks about the different emotions that a devotee experiences in the relationships with the Supreme Lord. And those same relationships, which are talked about in Bhakti Rasamrit Sindhu, are elaborated by Rupa Goswami further in the Ujwal Nilamani, where he focuses exclusively on the Madhurya Ras relationships the relationship between Krishna and the gopis. So, this, this concept of rasa, rasa means it's the analysis of emotions uh, to show how emotions can be related to the Supreme Lord uh, is very beautifully explained in our Sampradaya. In fact, in the, Maha, in the Ramayana, today is also Dasera, so in the Ramayana when the Lord Ram and Lakshman are in the forest, they have just come to Chitrakut. At that time, 
and they just hear a loud noise and they see birds flying in the sky and lord ram asks lakshman what is happening please climb up a tree and see when lakshman climbs up and he sees in the distance he sees the elephant of maharaj dashrath shatrunjay he looks he doesn't see anybody on the elephant but that doesn't strike him just seeing the elephant he immediately comes on that wicked bharat and after sending you after conspiring with his mother to send you to the forest has now come with the entire army to kill you but oh ram he doesn't know that i am there to protect him i will send him to the abode of death and i will take you back to ayodhya so at that time lord ram is very calm he says oh lakshman has bharat offended you in any way that you are so angry with him or is it that in a wave of emotion you felt that you can come with, with me to the forest but now you are finding the forest too austere and that is why you are wanting to go back to the kingdom if you want that then i will tell bharat and he will stay with me and you can go back and rule the kingdom <laughs> by this lakshman is completely mortified <laughs> and then when actually bharat comes and he sees bharat is wearing uh, the robes of ascetic and then the whole conversation takes place lakshman is completely embarrassed and then the whole event takes place where it's a very elaborate discussion bharat so actually the conversation between bharat and ram is like is said with the conflict between the pinnacle of duty and the pinnacle of love so lord ram is the pinnacle of duty he is dutifully bound to follow the words of his father that is his duty and bharat is the pinnacle of love and bharat is not ready there is a long discussion that goes to and forth it will take over an hour to have the whole discussion but at the end bharat says if you don't come back then i will sit here and fast to death and then lord ram becomes very grave and then he smiles he says oh bharat you wanted me to accept the kingdom and you had come with the forest for that purpose i accept your kingdom your love has conquered me and then everybody becomes very happy lord ram says very grave i accept your kingdom and i accept your love o bharat but at the same time in order that our father's words not be falsified i entrust the kingdom to you for 14 years <laughs> now bharat is defeated so and then bharat agrees to go back but after seeing this whole loving exchange between bharat and uh, lord ram then lakshman feels very very embarrassed and mortified and they're almost like a small he's a younger brother so sometimes he acts like a small child so he asks uh asks lord ram you know why is it that i get so angry oh lord so why is it i get so angry well lord ram very sweetly replies or oh, lakshman you are a emotional person so there lakshman asks are emotions bad are emotions bad so at that time lord ram says no he says emotions are not at all bad in emotions are what give beauty to life but our emotions should be such that they attract us towards dharma and not away from dharma certainly we should have emotions but our emotions should be such that they attract us towards dharma and not away from dharma so 
you know when suppose a student comes to a hostel and when he comes to a hostel away from his parents the whole world of, world of sin is open to him and he may get attracted to the opposite sex and he may fall for sin so there are some emotions which are attracting him away from dharma on the other hand he may think of his parents and how much they are sacrificing for me and those emotions will attract him to do his duty similarly when we take initiation so at that time you know we may still be prone to be attracted by sense objects but then we remember our spiritual master and the vow that we have taken so the remembrance of the spiritual master and the emotions that we feel for him they will attract us towards dharma so we cannot give up emotions but we can channelize the emotions we channelize the emotions so that they attract us towards dharma and that is what the whole concept of rasa is about so in asampradaya rupa goswami and then vishwanath chakravarti thakur they are called the rasik acharyas so vishwanath chakravarti thakur wrote the madhurya kadambini which is like a commentary on the adaushtadha sadhu sang that verse of the bhakti samat sindhu and then he also wrote ragavartma chandrika which is like a commentary sort of on the ujwal nilamani so the whole science of how emotions can be developed and channelized for the service of the lord is talked about in the gaudiya vaishnava sampradaya quite extensively so now even when we hear the pastimes of the lord we can have mundane emotions or we can have divine emotions the essential tragedy of the modern times is to mistake vasanas to be bhavanas <laughs> now what is the difference between a vasana and a bhavana now vasana is something which is very external and superficial just like sometimes uh, you know there are small children and if we tickle their stomach you tickle their stomach and they say <laughs> they just start laughing they are laughing but are they happy no that is not happiness if that were happiness they <laughs> if that were happiness and everybody wants to be happy then you know we could just everybody manufacture perpetual tickling machines and just keep tickling each other and be happy no so that is very superficial although there is a apparent external expression of happiness but that is not happiness that's just something which is biologically triggered and it doesn't touch the heart at all so similarly vasanas are actually some things which go outwards and they don't go inwards much they start from the bi- the biology and they could go to the psychology but they don't go to spirituality at all so that is vasana whereas bhavana of course bhavana emotions can also be spiritual they can be material but bhavana is more in the mind and actually rasa is something which originates from the soul comes into the mind and then expresses in the body so when there is male female attraction what is there mainly is vasana it's basically a biological attraction which people give a romantic garb to it but it doesn't last for very long so the vasanas are very superficial the bhavanas especially when they are connection with krishna they are very deep so the whole bhakti rasamrit sindhu talks about how we can develop our bhavanas for krishna that's why you know the hindi translation of iskon is antarashtri krishna bhavana amrutsang it's not something antarashtri krishna chetana or something like that so the word consciousness is prabhupad's unique rendition of krishna rasa bhavita matihi 
so that how it gets translated um it's very distinctly done but the point here is that the rasa is experienced in a particular way that is when there is a cultured audience to experience that rasa nowadays there are a lot of uh, tv serials which may talk about ramayana mahabharat or krishna leela but when people hear these past times those past times often just become another source of entertainment you know when people watch a movie at that time unconsciously they identify with the hero they identify with the hero and they get some enjoyment by so when the hero and heroine come together people start whistling because basically they imagine it would it would be so nice if i would be there and i would be enjoying so it's all second hand enjoyment <laughs> somebody else is enjoying <laughs> somebody else is enjoying and people imagine that we are there but the important thing is that when there is a movie people identify with the hero they identify with the hero and that's how they get enjoyment and when we hear krishna leela also we may identify with krishna and we may think that i am krishna and i am so great i am enjoying and if that is the case then that enjoyment is not spiritual that is still it is conditioned by the ego and it is still a material form of enjoyment and we may not even know whether it is material or it is spiritual but this especially comes out when we hear the conjugal pastimes of krishna when we hear the conjugal pastimes of krishna if we identify ourselves as the enjoyer whether it may in the male body or the female body if we identify ourselves as the enjoyer then the conjugal pastimes of krishna directly trigger our material emotions and when we hear the childhood pastimes of krishna even if our material emotion of caring for our children is triggered that is still noble but the madhuras pastimes often trigger the mundane emotions and that's why prabhupada was so careful that we have to hear philosophically the nine cantos of bhagavatam and when we have heard that we have philosophically understood the position of krishna then when a devotee hears krishna's pastimes with the gopis he does not see krishna as a boy and the gopis as girls he sees krishna as the lord and the gopis as devotees and the devotees identify in that pastime with the gopis how wonderfully krishna is reciprocating love with the devotees and when this is this mood is there then the conjugal pastimes of krishna can also be relished but without that often the mood of enjoyment will drag us down rather than dragging us up so our acharyas have written a lot on the 10th canto that's why shri prabhupada translated the krishna book which is a summary study of the 10th canto so here it is described that sat striyah satpatim yatha that just as a wife brings a husband under control by her devoted service so this is also eternal rasa in the spiritual world the highest the madhurya rasa now krishna's madhurya rasa pastimes are there in dwarka to some extent in madhura madhura and also in vrindavan so it's interesting that both uh, lalit madhav as well as lalit madhav is by rupa goswami and jiva goswami is gopal champu they describe how the gopis of vrindavan expand as the queens of dwarka and the interesting thing is 
दैट अकॉर्डिंग टू बोथ आचार्य राधारानी एक्सपैंड नॉट एज रुक्मिणी बट एज सत्यभामा एंड चंद्रावली एक्सपैंड एज रुक्मिणी सो न वाइज दैट बिकॉज द रिलेशनशिप बिटवीन कृष्णा एंड द राइट विंग ओपीज इज राधारानी एंड लेफ्ट विंग ओपीज आर हेडेड बाय चंद्रावली सो चंद्रावली इज ऑलवेज वेरी हम्बल एंड सबिसिव टू कृष्णा एंड राधारानी एक्चुअली कंट्रोल्स कृष्णा राधारानी ऑर्डर्स कृष्णा राधा चेस्टाइजर्स कृष्णा सो दउज्वल नीलमणि डिस्क्राइब्स दैट यू नो चंद्रावली इज लव फॉर कृष्णा फॉर कृष्णा इट इज लाइक घृतरस घृतरस मीन्स इट द टेस्ट ऑफ घी एंड राधारानी इज लव फॉर कृष्णा इज लाइक मधुरस इज द टेस्ट ऑफ हनी बोथ आर वंडरफुल घी एंड हनी बट स्टिल हनी इज मोर डेलिशियस सो इन द्वारका कृष्णा इज मैनिफेस्टिंग एज द आइडियल किंग and the ideal king needs the ideal queen and the ideal queen is one who is submissive to the king and radharani cannot play that role <laughs> radharani is actually she controls krishna and that's why chandravali plays that role of rukmini and chandra and just as uh, we see in the krishna book proper describes how rukmini never gets angry with krishna and krishna wants rukmini to get angry but he never gets angry on the other hand radharani सत्यभामा द वेरी वेरी सत्यभामा मीन्स सत्य इज नेचर भामा इज एंग्री सो वन ऑफ एंग्री नेचर एंड समाइम्स ललित माधव इज डिस्क्राइब हाउ एट वन टाइम कृष्णा टीजर्स रुक्मिणी एंड शी फाइनली गेट्स एंग्री एंड शी इज एंग्रीली सेज कृष्णा वॉट आर यू डूइंग एंड सडनली शी फील्स हेजिडेंट इज ओ नोबल हजबेंड ओ आर्य प्लीज डोंट डू लाइक दिस एंड देन कृष्णा बिकॉज वेरी हैप्पी ही सेज ओ रुक्मिणी after giving me the flood of nectar by calling me krishna angrily why are you giving me this well water by calling me arya so he wants to see her angry but the mood of chandravali is that or or satyabhama is that sorry of rukmini is that she never becomes angry so satyabhama we say she she becomes angry and that anger is also to please krishna she becomes angry but that anger is for pleasing krishna so that same relationship between krishna and the gopis which is described in the 10th canto of shrimad bhagavatam is elaborated shrada gopinath bhagwan ki jai shrinad gopal ji ki jai gornitai chandra bhagwan ki jai so the 10th canto past tense are described are also elaborated further in several books by our acharyas like the gopal champu and anandavan champu so in the anandavan champu is described how when krishna played his flute and all the gopis came and krishna told them so now please you can go back you wanted to come you came and see all this forest seen this forest and now you can go back and the gopis become very annoyed and they say you know why we have come here and then they have a very nice discussion and then as as the rasa is about to perform krishna disappears from there and krishna disappears all the gopis are devastated you know they look around and then they see that one gopi is missing and they realize that this one gopi krishna has gone with her and then they start searching around where is krishna the lord of our hearts is gone and how can we live without him they start looking around calling out for krishna 
and they start speaking in a frantic manner he says krishna is the lord of our senses and our mind so our senses and our mind are always with him so what is the question of separation from him our senses and mind have gone with him yet who is the wicked person who has created another sense set of senses and minds which are torturing us so much now and the gopis become so dazed by thoughts of krishna that it appears as if they are just like statues who are animated by some ghost within them they are glazed and they in their desperation they start searching here and there they ask the peacocks they ask the tulsi plant they ask the trees where is krishna where is krishna and then they start performing the pastimes of krishna and trying to somehow alleviate the pain of separation from krishna and finally they perform all the pastimes and while performing the pastimes again they come to the pastime of krishna playing his flute on all the gopis coming and running and krishna and gopis talking and they perform the rasa and then suddenly they come to the point where krishna leaves them and goes away and that jolts them back to external consciousness and all the pain of separation that starts burning their bodies and as they are looking around frantically suddenly they see that there are the footprints of krishna and they look at the footprints and they see oh this lotus it is so cooling but the the weapons that are there they are actually meant to pierce our heart and gouge our eyes where is krishna gone they start going after the footprints and they start searching way way inside they see another set of footprints they understand there some gopis there with it and then finally those footprints also disappear and they are very bewildered so at that time radharani is with krishna and when she is with krishna she feels overjoyed on the other hand the other gopis are talking and you know, there is chandravali's group so padma says she tells says to lalita and vishaka she says that you know you say that radharani is your leader but what kind of leader is she she says that all of you are dear to her but she has left all of you and gone away alone with krishna leaving not only us but leaving even you to suffer actually her love is only an illusion so at that time shama sakhi replies he says that radharani is like a aquatic plant which is thrown itself into the flowing river of krishna's love and therefore she has no control over herself whatever krishna wants she has to do just as a flower grows with its case but when the flower is to be offered to the lord the casing is taken away and the flower is offered so like that we are always with radharani but when krishna wants her if she goes alone that is no fault of hers and then they keep searching and finally they come to a place where radharani is also lying unconscious and as she is lying unconscious they wonder what has happened so as radharani is going with krishna she remembers she feels overjoyed on one side to see that uh, she is there with the lord but when she thinks of lalita vishaka and other sakis and she thinks that they are all being deprived of the enjoyment of krishna's association that she feels very sad and since she decides that let me ask krishna to carry me if krishna has to carry me then he will slow down if he slow down and the other sakhis will be able to catch up with us so it sometimes said that radharani also became proud actually that is only external radharani out of her concern for the other gopis she told krishna carry me and krishna also understood the heart of radharani but he pretended oh he said you are feeling tired since this is jungle and we cannot get a palanquin for you so 
please get climb on my back and i will carry you he spoke in a harsh voice and suddenly he disappeared and as soon as krishna disappeared no everything that was like nectar for radha night turned into poison the beautiful forest night it seemed to be coming out with sharp arrows and piercing her limbs now the necklaces seemed to have a thorns which pierced her body and she started crying where is krishna krishna where are you and she had this conversation with krishna uh, imagine the conversation with krishna so krishna says you know you were proud so i left you i don't like pride he says no but it is i am not proud i was only concerned about my sakis and for their sake i told you please wait or carry me he says i don't like such arrogant behavior he says oh krishna please appear back if you do not appear back i will not be able to live i will die and you will have to carry my dead body through the forest so krishna says that you know i left the other sakis and i am leaving you also they didn't die and you will also not die he says no they have each other and they will talk with each other and they will remember you i am all alone please my dear lord please come back you know if all the other sakis come here and they see that you have abandoned me like this then they will censure you and how will you defend yourself my dear lord and i cannot tolerate you being censured even if they don't see me i will die before that and if i am dead the whole world will criticize you my dear lord i cannot tolerate that you be criticized for my sake please come back and she has no response from anywhere and on one side radharani thinks that for a lover who is neglected by the beloved there is no need for life but at the same time she is thinking that if krishna comes back later and i am not there to serve him then what is then that will not be proper back when krishna leaves vrindavan and goes to dwarka and the vrajvasis are ready to give up their lives but the only thought that keeps them alive is that krishna will come back and it's not that they want to enjoy krishna they think that if krishna comes back and if krishna finds that we are not there to serve him then krishna will be unhappy gopal chipu described that there are constantly letters going on between dwarka and vrindavan so in one letter krishna writes that he writes from the bhai says i am such an ungrateful son that although you cared for me throughout my childhood i left you and went away the only way i can be forgiven for my offense is if i come back to you please forgive me till then and uh, the maharaj replies to krishna that you know we are separated from you and we suffer but we don't mind our suffering we are separated from you and you suffer because of that and that causes us suffering krishna sends a message to the gopis and he says that actually you know i am longing for the day when we'll be reunited and therefore i have i have created such beautiful gardens and i am watering them personally so that we can perform pastime in the bowers so the gopis write back yes we are also made gardens over here and we are watering them but we pour water on the garden and then our hot tears fall on those same plants and they dry up those plants we cannot live without you so radhan is feeling immense separation from krishna and at that time uh, the only way she can maintain her life is when her sakhi murcha murcha's unconsciousness he comes and embraces radharani radharani falls unconscious and the other sakhis come over there and they see is this radharani is this somebody else and then she realizes radharani there are 
they are filled with a mixture of respect disappointment anger envy to see who is the special sakhi who has been separated from krishna and uh, and then who was first singled out by krishna then separated from krishna and then after that radhana tells them what has happened and they all come to the jamuna banks and when they come to jamuna banks there they start singing the gopi geeta and when they sing the gopi geeta eventually krishna appears over there so krishna appears and he gives different justification he says that actually you know i separate myself from my devotee so i can, i can intensify their love for me if they obtain me easily then they will not understand therefore i sometimes separate myself and then tears come in krishna's eyes and he says actually this is not for devotees like you that is external for other devotees but you have already attained the perfection of love and i cannot raise your love any higher and the choked voice krishna says na paraye hum is i cannot repay the debt of love that i owe you therefore let your own glorious deeds be the remuneration so as he says vashe kurvanti mam bhaktya that krishna was conquered by the love of the gopis so that's what is spread over here and we know that same radha krishna came in kaliyuga as lord chaitanya mahaprabhu and lord chaitanya mahaprabhu sent their special senapati bhakta ishla prabhupad now ishla prabhupad preached all over the world he was unique in our gaudi sampradaya in that he explained how that esoteric past tense radha krishna become accessible to us in the chaitanya charitamrut where radha krishna uh, where chaitanya mahaprabhu is expressing separation from radha krishna at that time uh, from krishna at that time prabhupada is talking about preaching krishna consciousness all over the world why because the essence of the gopis love for krishna is not that they are they are dancing in the forest with krishna the essence of the gopis love for krishna is that they are ready to sacrifice everything for krishna and you know that past time when uh, they were ready to offer their own dust and ready to go to hell for the sake of krishna so that mood of selfless sacrifice is personified by shri prabhupada now for the sake of fulfilling radha krishna's desire chaitanya mahaprabhu's desire shri prabhupada was not just ready to go to hell but he literally went to hell now he went from the capital of devotion vrindavan to the capital of degradation that was new york the bowries over there and the way he preached over there was extraordinary in the early days of our movement prabhupada was all alone and 1968 he had that severe stroke he came back to india when he went to america so he was in he had gone to canada because he had not yet got a permanent uh, residency in america so he went to canada and from there he was coming to america back so he had to go to santa fe and at that time because his con did not have so much money prabhupada was traveling alone so he came down to chicago and he had to transit take another airport and go from plane and go from there so it was, he was all alone he had his luggage with him and several flights he had to climb up and climb down and it was a big crowd o'hare is a very big airport the name of that airport is o'hare airport so when prabhupada Tripuri Maharaj was distributing books over there. He, t- he told Tripuri Maharaj, they already have got the name Hare. You tell them to add Krishna. Oh, Hare Krishna Airport. <laughs> so Tripuri Maharaj was taken aback. He said, Prabhupada, they won't listen to us. Prabhupada, that is not your problem. That is their problem. <laughs> you go and tell them. 
सो ऑफकोर्स एट दैट टाइम देर वॉज नो बुक डिस्ट्रीब्यूशन गोइंग ऑन ओवर देर सो प्रोबाद केम ऑल अलोन क्लाइंबिंग डाउन लॉन्ग फ्लाइट ऑफ स्टेयर एंड सडनली सबडी पुष्ट and prabhupad fell and he rolled down the stairs his bag went off his hands and his head got bruised and his arms got bruised and there was no one to come to him these people were just rushing on nobody cared for this elderly swami and prabhupad was lying down there and somebody came to lift him up prabhupad himself got up he said swami ji all right prabhupad look at the flight is just a few minutes for his flight for him to catch his flight he went and rushed and caught his flight and then he saw that the wounds on his arms were clotting they were not serious he remembered just when he was leaving when he was leaving uh, montreal at that time a reporter had asked him swami ji do you have any difficulties when you preach this mission so prabhupada had replied at the time i have no difficulties because krishna is always with me because krishna is always with me now here only when mumbai prabhupada was very sick at that time one one astrologer came to him i told swami ji you know why you are so sick said because you have accepted too many disciples and you are getting their karma so prabhupada was very good prabhupada said yes i came to this world to suffer for the sake of others i came to this world to suffer for the sake of others so prabhupada here is focusing in his pervert mode on sadhava samadarshana that sadhava sees that the main cause of suffering of people is that they are not attached to krishna and out of his attachment to krishna he wants to make others attached to krishna and prabhupada has given us this wonderful krishna consciousness movement in which we can practically perform devotional service by hearing krishna katha by practicing the philosophy by doing different forms of services and joyfully advance in krishna consciousness and in this way we can all gradually not prematurely gradually come to a level where we can also experience spiritual rasa when we can experience divine emotions while we are performing hearing krishna katha and that rasa can also become a fact of life for us till that time happens prabhupada said that we will enter into radha krishna lila by preaching krishna consciousness all over the world in trying to serve krishna in a practical way the rasa that we experience in that is actually the rasa of bhakti that is accessible to us at our level the, in the gaudiya sampradaya before bhakti sanasa vithakur the idea of sankirtan was that you do kirtan bhakti sanasar dagor expanded that by explaining that even printing books is sankirtan prabhupada expanded that for that meaning all the missionary activities of krishna consciousness are actually sankirtan so whatever we are doing whether it be doing some dt services cleaning or preaching or book distribution all these are the means by which we can develop our relationship with krishna and through all these we experience spiritual rasa and by experiencing that spiritual rasa we can get rid of the material vasanas and the more we can get rid of those material vasanas the more we become steady in spiritual life so when we come to the as bhakti samasa says there is a stage called sthayi bhav sthayi bhav means steady attraction when we come to that stage in our bhakti then it's almost certain from there that we'll advance and go back home back to godhead so i'll summarize what i discussed i started by talking about how bhagavatam establishes the supreme position of bhakti and the supreme position of bhagwan sri krishna then we discussed about how the rasas the different rasas are talked about uh, in our sampradaya and it is the education of emotions how uh, emotions can drag us down or they can lift us up we discussed from the ramayana 
and how those emo- emotions that can be can be used to lift us up that is systematically taught in the gaudiya sampradaya and even when we hear krishna's pastimes to experience the appropriate rasa we have to have the appropriate philosophical understanding we identify not with krishna but with the devotees of krishna and then we discuss how the gopis experience intense emotions in separation from krishna and lastly we discussed how at our level the rasa we experience primarily is in our service to krishna and through our service to krishna we can which we have got by the mercy of shri prabhupada we can all come to sthayi bhav and ultimately experience whatever rasa we have eternal relationship with krishna thank you very much shri prabhupada ki grantraj shri bhagavatam ki tai gaur premanande hari hari bol does anyone have any questions Thank you very much. Hare Krishna.